expense, this excessive spending, this wasteful use of the resources that we've been given. Did you really have to pour all that perfume on Jesus? Let's think about how we can cut our costs, Mary. Come on. Let's think about how we can trim the fat. Don't you know how much food we could have gotten with that boutique perfume if we had taken the money to Costco instead? Crates and crates of canned food. Well, maybe it's because we know what we know about Judas from our side of history. But to me, even as I began to listen to him, as I read this passage again this week, I thought, something's not right with this guy. And even before John gives us hints and clues into what he's really up to, we have the sense that that ah, just doesn't feel right, the way he's talking, even here. And he seems, at the very least, to be confusing the work of Christ with a primacy on devotion to Christ. And we might hold on to that lesson, if nothing else, from Judas. That, that we're never to confuse the work of Christ with a primacy of devotion to Christ. That everything that we do and all the service that we offer to the world flows and stems from our worship to Jesus in the first place. Let's cut our costs when it comes to worshiping Jesus. And maybe we'll have a little bit more for ourselves. I mean, for others, <laughs> Judas seems to say. Well, John doesn't wait too long to confirm our suspicions. As it turns out, he had actually given a little foreshadowing when he said Judas, the one who would soon betray Jesus. But later on, after he talks about what he, is, what he said about the perfume, he, he uh, makes it clear that Judas wasn't really confused at all. It wasn't compassion that was driving him. It was greed. First of all, greed for attention, greed for notice. Uh, look, I think we ought to should have sold the perfume, fed the poor. I don't know what the rest of you disciples are thinking about, but obviously I'm the most compassionate one here in the room. Uh, so a little bit of greed for notice and attention was driving him, and even greed for just self-gain. That, man, she would have sold that perfume, put it into the treasury. I could have skimmed a little off the top. We could have bought a little bit of food, but I could have padded my wallet just a little bit more. The, let's just be honest. This bargain hunter is a bad guy. And not all bargain hunters are. Don't get me wrong. But this particular bargain hunter is a bad guy. And Jesus, thankfully, shuts him up pretty quickly. It isn't that Jesus didn't care for the poor. Please don't mistake what Jesus said there to suggest that he didn't care for the poor. The overall picture of Jesus' ministry, both in this gospel and all the chapters that we've just come through, and, and, and especially, especially, especially in the gospel of Luke and other gospels, shows that Jesus cared wholeheartedly for the poor. They were his focus. But it's possible that he recognized that at this moment in time that he was the poor. And it was perfectly appropriate for Mary to do for him what she had done. Especially as it anticipated his burial that was to come. After all, it was his death that would begin to put to right the problem of the poor, ultimately. Well, um, the early church theologian Augustine, or Augustine, if you want to sound um, uh, impressive, uh, he suggests that Judas is in this story to remind us of our need to bear with wicked people, especially as it pertains to not dividing the body of Christ. Augustine suggests that the way Jesus treats Judas here is how we ought to treat 
wicked people around us in the body of Christ with not throwing them out, not judging them, just speaking firmly to them, but clearly and, and loving them. I don't know about Augustine's perspective, honestly. I think he's in this story just to remind us not to be that guy. Don't be that guy who is so practical in expressing your faith that you fail to make any room for the passionate. Don't be that guy who is so concerned about extravagant expressions of worship that you fail to give Jesus ultimately even what He is due. Don't be that guy who in failing to make life all about Jesus ultimately ends up making life all about yourself. Judas is this perfect picture of sin, actually. A person who is turned in on themselves. And whether he's here to remind us to be patient with each other, or whether he's here to remind us just not to be that guy, he serves a purpose for us this morning. Well, enough about the bargain hunter. Let's talk about the boutique hoppers for a, a bit. Mary is the obvious example for us. But before we get to her, let's, let's talk about Martha for just a moment. Um, let's not miss out on her sister Martha. I love that line from verse 2. I think I have it here. Uh, a din- yeah, here it is. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served. Just leave that there for a moment, Darren, if you will. Martha sometimes gets a bad rap, right? She, she's a busybody. Luke tells a similar story. Some scholars think it was the same one where she's busy in the kitchen and Mary's worshiping at Jesus' feet. And even Jesus gets on her a little bit. That Mary's chosen the better way and this and that. And she gets this bad rap for not taking time to be with Jesus. But let's, let's be careful not to overlook what Martha has done here in this story. I, I don't think that Jesus ultimately overlooked it either, so, so we shouldn't. Uh, this was no small dinner party that Martha had prepared. There were at least the 12 disciples, and from the wedding at Canaan, we know that they could put their food and drink away, potentially. And they, they were big, hungry men. And there were at least those 12 plus Jesus plus Lazarus. And we know that he had just come back from the dead, so he was really hungry. And you know Mary was getting hungry too. And probably there were many other just people, hangers-on, you know, folks who were coming around. Not, if not to see Lazarus, we hear about those folks to see Jesus, and if not that, because they heard Martha was cooking. And if Martha's cooking, you know it's going to be good, so let's go to dinner over at their house. So I can just imagine that this was a wedding, or not a wedding, but a party, a dinner party that started with, you know, 15, and then became 20, and maybe you've been to some of these, or you've hosted these, and it was 25, and suddenly it was 30, and Martha's like, Lazarus, stop inviting people, and it's 50, and Martha's in the kitchen, and she's cooking, and she's serving. And I love these words because this was not a dinner 
so that people would sit around the table and say, wow, Martha's a good cook. It's, it's, it wasn't a dinner so they'd look around and say, oh, look at Lazarus, he looks pretty good. This is a dinner in Jesus' honor. I love that. I love that line. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, and Martha served. And as I read that again this week, folks, I just have to tell you, I, I just thought, what, what am I doing to really honor Jesus? And I thought, maybe at our house we just need to have a meal. I don't know, Kyla, maybe it's... I don't know, Monday night, or we just name it. It's that meal, not Monday. If you come here, you can have it at Monday night. But Tom's like, no, not Monday night. <clears throat> Whatever. I just thought, we just need to have a meal where this one's the one in honor of Jesus. So something's happened in my life that I know every day and every week is being done to honor Jesus. And I thought more about this. I thought, well, that's not quite the point, I don't think. I think the point is, what do I have? What have I been given for Martha, it was her hospitality, it was her gifts of creativity. I'm just imagining the centerpieces, if they had centerpieces in that day. But her, her, her gifts of, her talent of, of cooking, of leadership, of, of organization, and she's taking all of these things and she's saying, this is what I got, and I'm offering it in honor of Jesus. And... And Lola's not here this morning, so we can talk about her, because Lola is a dear lady in our congregation, and many of you know Lola. But she's with a group of teenagers this morning, helping to make them breakfast. And she put, she put a picture on Instagram of her on the slopes yesterday with all these teenage girls, and she actually had a smile on her face. And she, Lola, is, she makes tamales, like hundreds of them, um, and, and she's on our church board, and, and I could go on and on and on, and, you know, I don't know, it was 10 years ago, Lola just started coming to our church, and, and I remember the story, and I don't think she'd mind me telling you, because another guy had been coming who invited Lola, and Lola was coming off and on, and then he moved away, but he said that he told her when he moved away that she needed to take his seat at church. And Lola's done that, and more. And Lola, and, and I could talk about each of you if you weren't here. Believe me, I would do it. Um, but Lola's taken what she has, taking what she is, and she just said, Jesus, I just want to honor you with my ability to make tamales, my ability to cook for 20 people in a little cabin. <laughs> I just want to honor you. And my question to us this morning as we think about Martha that she didn't hold back. She didn't pull out her wallet and say, well, I only got this much. She didn't open up her purse and dig around and say, oh, I don't think so, Jesus. She, she turned it over. She shook it out. She said, all I've got, here it is. Mary, Mary, um, Mary makes us very uncomfortable in this story. Doesn't she? Does she not make you uncomfortable? I'm, I'm very uncomfortable with Mary's behavior in this story. It's awkward. You remember what she does, right? She takes the perfume and she pours it on Jesus' feet and then she gets down and she wipes it with her hair. And I began to 
I, I, I came into this story again this week, and as I read, I thought, well, maybe I'm going to read some scholars this week that, you know, early Jesus time scholars that are going to tell me that this was normal behavior for women at dinner parties to, to get down on their hands and knees and to pour open a bottle of expensive perfume, and then to wipe it with their hair. And so I read N.T. Wright, and I thought, okay, N.T. Wright, he knows something about, you know, early Christian history. He's a great theologian, biblical scholar. And this is what N.T. Wright, he's very conservative, he's British, and just wouldn't, I couldn't believe I read this in his commentary, but he said, no, the, Mary wiping Jesus' feet with her hair was the equivalent of a of a woman at a dinner party, a formal dinner party in our day, just like hitching up her skirt and showing her upper thigh. I'm like, N.T., I'm blushing. <laughs> you know, <laughs> Awkward. And this whole scene is meant to make us uncomfortable. Because what Mary is doing here is not normal. It's not normal behavior for a person coming before the Lord. I remember a few years ago, and some of you were, were here, but I remember a few years ago when uh, we had a visitor come to our church, and I was seated, standing down here, and the worship team was playing, and I was just kind of doing my normal kind of glance around to see who's here, and uh, I caught this woman in the middle of the aisle performing a full-on liturgical, uh, rhythmic, she didn't have the streamers, but she could have, full-on liturgical dance, right in the middle of the aisle. And I thought to myself, huh, that's interesting. <laughs> what are we going to do now? And I, I sensed basically the whole, it's, it's, this is done in churches all over the world. Let's don't fool ourselves. I mean, this is a normal, natural expression of worship for thousands of people around the world. And in the United States, in more of a charismatic, perhaps, worship experience. But in this place, is, you know, we like to clap and maybe raise our hands every once in a while, maybe shout an amen very infrequently. Can I get an amen? Thank you very much. But for this scene, it was like, wow, what's she doing? What is she doing? And, and I, I, I thought about that in relation to this scene because I picture the disciples standing around Jesus as this is going on. And Martha comes out from behind the kitchen and Lazarus is standing there and I see their eyes getting wider. And they too are simply murmuring to themselves, what is she doing? She's embarrassing us. She's embarrassing Jesus. This is awkward. This is uncomfortable. This isn't how it's supposed to happen. What is she doing? I uh, hear this text teaching us that our emotion, we're not just only emotional people, but we are emotional people. And I hear this text teaching us that our emotion, our devotion, our passionate demonstrations of love and worship to Jesus are an important part of who we are as the people of God. Now, I do want to say this. Our worship can, expressions of worship, not only in this church, but in others, can easily turn into a show. 
And, and that's not what we're talking about here. It can become just an act to sort of fit in with what the cool worshipers are doing. We don't want to become those who are just singing or dancing or falling down in a certain way just to bring attention to ourselves. We've seen how this is done. But this text reminds us that our worship can be and it often should be extravagant. It can be excessive. It can be extreme. Now, there's room for the Lazaruses reclining at the table. All right, there's room for for Lazarus. There's room for Martha worshiping through your service, absolutely. But there is room for Mary. There's room for Mary down on her hands and feet, wiping the feet of Jesus with her hair. Let's make room for Mary. And so, I want to tell you, friends, if, if, if the Spirit says, clap your hands, clap your hands. I don't often take a moment to teach specifically about how to worship. It's, it's a, somewhat of an individual thing. If the Spirit says, uh, lift your hand. I remember when I was a kid, I, brought, I invited a friend to church, and we were in this really conservative Nazarene church, and at the end of the service, they were singing a song, and this old man next to us raised his hand, and my friend just leaned over to me and said, what is he doing? It was the weirdest thing he'd ever seen in his life. And maybe some of you still feel like that when you see me or somebody else raise their hand. What are they doing? Well, if the Spirit's not saying raise your hand, don't raise your hand. But if the Spirit's saying raise your hand, if the Spirit's saying shout amen, if the Spirit's saying off yourself, run to the altar. I've had somebody ask me, is it okay if we pray at those altars? Yes. Mourner's benches, they've been known as. Where people come to cry out to God. If the Spirit says, then respond. I love this line from verse 3, real quick. That next one, I hope, is there. The house was filled with the fragrance. And I thought about as I read that, Let's fill this sanctuary with fragrance. Fragrance. Fill this house with praise, with worship, with our devotion and our honor, just like the fragrance, the perfume Mary used filled the house that they were in. This is, when we come to worship, this is not a time to cut costs. This is not a time to snap up the purse. This is not a time to push the wallet down deeper in terms of who we're offering as ourselves. Again, Dump it out. This is all I have. This is who I am. I've only got an hour and a half each week if James will finish on time. I've only got this much time. What am I saving it up for? (laughs) This is not a half-off worship service. He invites us to be all in. Well, finally, Lazarus, and I can do Lazarus, I can do this in a couple minutes. He catches my attention. First of all, he catches my attention because when that first verse that I read for you in verse 2, it says, Dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor, Martha served, and if you keep reading, it says, And Lazarus sat at the table. Caught my attention. I'm like, You're my hero, Lazarus. Just kick him back. Just, you know, came back from the dead, so you're milking it maybe a little bit. And you're thinking, I'm just going to be here, Martha. Bring me some food. It'll all be good. I'm here with my buddy Jesus. We're pretty tight. He brought me back from the dead. 
Um, here's Martha throwing a party for 50 people. There's Mary pouring out perfume. And here's this guy uh, sitting there stuffing his face. Yeah, good job, Lazarus. Um, again, maybe still tired from the four days. I guess we could say that he was communing with Jesus. That's pretty good. And we can pull that out. That's important. We've got to commune with Jesus. But Lazarus really comes to my attention. I actually almost ended this section of Scripture for my sermon with, I think, verse 9 or 8. But I decided, verse 8. But I decided to include 9, 10, 11 and just to kind of make it longer. And then I read it really carefully and I thought, oh, this is why. Because I read more about Lazarus in those verses and this is what earns his title as a boutique hopper. At the end of the passage, we read these words. Do you see them? Verse 10, read them with me. Then the leading priests decided to kill Lazarus too. And I thought to myself, well, Martha serves, Mary worships, Lazarus gives his life, potentially. And undoubtedly, um, the people had heard about Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead. They were coming to faith in Jesus. And because of his witness, he had become a wanted man. And the religious leaders were saying, well, let's take Jesus out. We've been planning on doing that for a while. And while we're at it, let's get Lazarus too, because he's taking people away from us as well. And uh, John includes this detail, no doubt, to let the readers know at the time that this gospel came out and the readers who were reading it still today that, among other things, a too close association with Jesus will often get you into trouble. And Lazarus had put his neck on the line. And yet, here's the thing I love about Lazarus. I can just picture him. If he had heard that, I don't know if he did, but if he had heard that, I can just picture him. So? I already died once. What are you going to do to me? You know, it's not YOLO for Lazarus. It's YOLT. You only live twice. And he's, he's, got, he's got it going on. And, and, but I just kind of... I just kind of imagine Lazarus in this moment saying, I've died before and he brought me back to life. I'm a dead man walking. You can do whatever you want to do to me. It doesn't matter. I'm given everything that I've got. I'm pouring it out. Everything that I have is his. I've got nothing to hold back. I died, He raised me from the dead. I know if I die, He can raise me again. And it just kind of hit me, friends, that for those of us who have come to Christ, you know what we've done? Those of us who are in relationship with Jesus Christ, we've died. We've died to sin. We've died to death. We've died to our past. We've died to what was before, and we've been risen to new life. We're dead people walking. <laughs> and so in Lazarus' place, as every persecution and threat comes our way, we can simply look and say, 
there's nothing you can do to me that he cannot raise me from. He's done it before. He'll do it again. Jesus, we're not looking for any sales. I don't want a discount. I don't need 50% off. I want to give you everything that I have. Thank you, Jesus, that you receive us. The servants among us, the Marthas, who are just taking everything they've got and just wrapping it up and saying, here it is. Use me. If there's something that you can use me for, Jesus, just use me. It's all for your honor. I don't want any pats on the back. I don't need any recognition. I don't need my name in the bulletin. I just, I just want to do it for you, Jesus. And, and if, if nobody tells me what to do, then I'm just going to make it my lifelong pursuit to find out what pleases you and what brings honor to you. And I'm going to put what I have there to do that. Maybe it's the Marys here who have actually felt a little bit restricted by the worship style of this particular congregation. <laughs> Even though we're doing our best, Lord, you, you know that there are some who maybe have looked around and said, let's loosen up, people. And there are some that would just need to lead us in that. The rest of us might stand around for a while saying, what is he doing? What is she doing? But as the Spirit leads, may we be people poured out in worship to you. Finally, there's perhaps a Lazarus or two in this place who by the very witness of their lives is causing a stir. And I pray, oh Jesus, that you would protect and you would support and you would strengthen that our witness would draw people to you, Jesus. That our lives would just simply be, oh, that's the guy that Jesus did that for. And in that witness, we would know that you're strengthening and sustaining against any persecution, any threat that might come our way. You've raised us. You can raise us. And so we're poured out to you, Jesus. We're poured out. All we've got. All we've got. Expensive, excessive, extravagant. That's who you are, and that's what we give to you. All that we have today. Nothing held back. Nothing held back. We worship you now. We love you now. Thank you for loving us. It's in Jesus' name that we